On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Tears for Fears, The Dipping Point. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory, as we consider Tears for Fears, The Tipping Point. Good evening, Joe. All yes. right, gentlemen. So here we are, our very first ever Tears for Fears episode, which mm. of course begs the question, gentlemen, why are we doing Tears for Fears? Tears for Fears aren't Prague, are they? Oh, mm. uh, uh, sure they are, Joe. Oh, sure they are. There's he no says Hobbit very shit. confidently. There's no Hobbit shit. There is no on. Hobbit shit. But, well, but, I, we've been flirting with the idea of prog, not prog bands for a long time. So this this is probably one of the more hardcore examples of, of, of pop. But why not? Yeah. It's close enough. I mean, we do. Uh, we did uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. I think they're a parallel to this as far as the prog world may go. We did do Toad the Wet Sprocket. And I would argue that this is maybe this album, certainly, but certainly some of the other Tears for Fears albums are much more prog than Tears than Toad the Wet Sprocket I, are. I would totally agree. I mean, uh, Sowing the Seeds of Love is an excellent example. And pretty much every classic rock fan that I know that grew up in the 80s uh, absolutely loves The Hurting. So that's true. I, I think it's they're totally legit for discussion. So I, I just wanted to sort of address that right out of the gate um, because, you know, this is not something that we would normally do. And um, it's also, you know, not normal that we come in to, you know, the first episode on a band at the end of, of wow. the, uh, their release cycle. But that's a good that's a good point, too. In, yeah. you know, in this particular case, we are, you know, in this sort of short segment, we are considering, um, you know, f- more recent releases. And there is, you know, a lot of discussion as to, you know, what maybe that means or not. Certainly with yeses from a page mm. being mm. a little bit older than the rest. Um, yeah. But Spoiler alert. In the in the. Force ranking of all of these quote unquote newer albums. Uh, this one's a front runner. Ooh, Paul, listen to you <laughs> laying down some teasers. I like it. <laughs> now, for me, I the thing I remember most about this is when I was in Philadelphia um, in March for Steve Hackett. We were, you know, hanging out pre-show as we often do, and you two guys were just gushing about this record pretty much nonstop. Really? Um, yes. Hmm. 
And I had not heard it yet. And so I wasn't, you know, I didn't necessarily know what it, you know, what you guys were talking about, but Mm. you were, you were effusive in your praise for this record. And so I was very excited to get it because, you know, this is, you know, going back into, into the lore, right? Paul, you mentioned the herding and sowing the seeds of love, um, which were, which bookend um, songs from the big chair, which was their big breakout mm-hmm. um, album. Joe, did you say effusent? Is that what you said? Effusive. Eff- effusive. Yes. No, that doesn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> and after, um, I believe it was Sowing the Seeds of Love, um, you know, the, the band broke up and, and Kurt Smith left to find greener pastures. And Roland Orzabal took the ball and kept running and released what are, in my estimation, two of the most stellar albums of the time period, Elemental and Raul and the Kings of Spain. Here, here. In fact, I may be in the minority in Tears for Fears land, but Elemental is probably my number one Tears for Fears album. I think that thing is a masterpiece. It really is a masterpiece, even if it is a more or less one-man show. Yeah. And then, of course, as, you know, things would have it, Kurt Smith came back and they released Everyone, Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, I think it was called. Mm. And so this is the second release of them sort of reunited. This is the 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 release after that that record. Overall, I think, you know, I'm with you, Paul. I think this album is spectacular. And I need to go back and listen to Everybody Loves a Happy Ending because I don't remember it being anywhere near as good as this, Hmm. nor Elemental, nor Raul. I never heard Everybody Loves a Happy Ending even to this day. And I've thought the same thing. Like, I really need to check that out to see. I, I mean, just looking at the track listing, I'm thinking it's a little too long. Um but uh, but yeah, it's funny, you know. It's I remember that Joe. Now that you mentioned when we were together for um, uh, Steve Hackett, and we were driving around, going to dinner, and and I remember playing Rivers of Mercy, oh, and um, God. I think we were we were uh, mentioning like talking about the reverb and the, and the piano sound and and all of that stuff. So uh, and uh, Ken. I think True. you actually went to the Tears for Fears concert, didn't you? And no. at the man? No. Oh, you didn't? No. I must have just fantasized that because I wanted to go so badly and couldn't. I you know, it's funny. I wanted to go see them as well, but I again I hadn't purchased the album at that point. Or some I don't know what I for whatever reason I didn't either I didn't have it or I hadn't listened to it enough to become truly enthralled. And so I for whatever reason, just didn't go. And I really, really wish that I would have. But, you know, that's that's part of life, right? Yeah, indeed. I would have loved it. I, I really like the band. I really like the Man Music Center. But no, it was it was not to be for the mm. live show. Um, I was I particularly s- into the... Um, yeah, the processing, the reverbs, the environment, the, the feeling that the album contained. 
I thought it was very clear, but at the same time, very rich and deep. I was very excited early on with uh, the production value, which is pretty standard when it comes to Tears for Fears and Ronald mm -hmm. Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. um, I also remember reading a little bit about the, you know, the, the process and there was a lot and, and, you know, I'm sure you'll cover this in the particulars, Joe, but I was enamored with the idea that, uh, you know, these guys, you know, had, according to the lore that they were sort of espousing, they had, they had tried to start the, the recording or the writing process and there was a whole bunch of outward pressures that they, they didn't enjoy. And then they just sort of sat down with a couple of guitars and started cranking out songs and, and, you know, that's how it was. And I was really, really interested to hear that, the output of that. And, um, and when you listen, you know, when you queue up the CD and you push play and no small thing starts, I mean, it starts with a little acoustic guitar riff and you're like, ah, this is just like they said it was. They're just <laughs> sitting around playing acoustic guitars, writing songs. But then, if I recall, you, you start looking through the credits and you're like, these none of this was in a room <laughs> writing acoustic guitars. They just wrote their own songs and brought them in and produced the hell out of them, which I like. But um, felt like it was a little bait and switch there, maybe. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Either that or that's just the way they credit things. It's I, I'm not 100% certain. What yeah. I like about this, and, and again, it's been a while since I listened to the previous record, you know, as I already mentioned, I absolutely love Elemental and Raul and the Kings of Spain. I think, I think Roland's approach to songwriting and production very much fits in my worldview, and I absolutely love it. And I and I want to say that, you know, when I got Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, I felt that that was somehow subsumed by the idea of bringing Kurt back in. And I didn't really get what the point of it was. Like the magic in, in the two albums, Elemental and Raul, was sort of dissipated somehow. Mm. And, and what I like about this record specifically is I think it has that Roland magic intact, but you can definitely, I think, feel the input an impact of having Kurt Smith there. And, and maybe it, you know, maybe it was just them figuring out how to work together again. I, I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I, it does. I, I can very much sense and experience the fact that there are, you know, two songwriters here and two singers and, you know, uh, a guy who's actually playing bass. Yeah. I, but it does really capture some of the elements that were so great about Elemental and and Raul. You're you're right on with that. And and I think I love the little Easter eggs. I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to call them all out tonight because of course I didn't take any notes, but <laughs> there's a lot of to me as I listen through this, Easter eggs that harken back to the, you know, previous days of Tears for Fears throughout a lot of their albums, which I think is pretty cool. I'm only going to vary slightly on what's already been said but I do feel the need to speak here on a couple of points. The, um, what turned out to be the EPK or electronic press kit kind of marketing thing that, that we caught the videos with them sitting around, you know, just two guys with guitars kind of a thing. 
and I also wanted to comment on the uh, co-writers and the producers. So um, there was obviously a long story, a long process behind this album. Uh, they, they were with Warners. Warners had pressure on them to write. They put them in a room with the writers at different times, and they never really felt strongly about it. But some of that material did make it eventually to the final product. Um, so so it, it, this could have sounded very contrived in the original Warner Brothers vision had that happened because they specifically wanted young writers to make these old guys sound young mm -hmm. and they resisted that. So, you know, I think they did reconvene the two of them and take back the power and they signed with a new management company and they took what is essentially, I don't know, is it nine years or something to write the album? It's a very, very long time. Everybody loves a happy ending was in fact in oh my god 2004 so so th th they had a very long time i think they started writing for this in 2013 maybe formerly but basically any idea that they had lying around since 2004 w w was was mm -hmm. coming into this and uh the you know Producers behind this, Charlton Pettis, Floridian, Florian Ruder, and Sasha Skarmek. Well, Sasha uh, produced Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus. Wow. And worked with Adele, Lana Del Rey, Jason Mraz, uh, James Blunt. So it, it is your typical highbrow Tears for Fears production with a high gloss product and years in the making and it's really good and the two guys with guitars things is 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 kind of true but also a little bit of a marketing angle there that's that's my interpretation of how this went down yeah i mean i appreciate that because i think that you know that makes that makes sense and maybe maybe it was a little bit blown out of proportion even in my own mind just from listening to you know maybe what i wanted Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But that makes a lot of sense that that's how uh, that's how I went. I'm curious to know if um, "Break the Man" and "My Demons" were the two leftovers from the um, from the big young songwriters group because I'll get to those later, I guess. But they would be my candidates, right? Right? For, right? For what doesn't belong? Yeah, I guess we'll go through in order as we always do, and 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 I'll be sure to throw in the co-writers as we get to each one. Yeah. It's it's interesting actually because I don't know I'm not 100% certain where this information came from but on the track listing for the wikis not only does it list the writing combinations but it also lists the producer combinations. Ah, mm -hmm. interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Ken, perhaps you would like to provide some context for the early part of 20 22 obviously we're not <laughs> we're not going to cover the 18 years between uh <laughs> right 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 <laughs> be, well, between their last album and this one but well they started releasing singles in october of 2021 uh with with the title track being released smoke no small thing in december of 2021 
uh, and break the man January 2022. Is that the, is that the new so, way basically to have you know two or three singles out well before the actual release of the album? Like is that is that the way you be, build buzz these days? It seems to be the uh, the approach that everybody takes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Mark Anthony K and you you have the making of and you have the daily updates and whatnot, but you know, um, not every artist is that you know comfortable like just verbalizing what they're doing. But yeah, uh, I think I think more is better in this day and age. Hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know that it's necessary for me to read everything that was going on in Prague Rock because I don't believe that Roland and Kurt would have been cozying up with a lot of Prague Rock in the years prior. Uh, I, I don't know that their management company would have compared them to Prague Rock, <laughs> but uh, uh, for, for, for what it's worth, this is all very recent it all happened uh you know the singles and the releases within the last year and um i i can't even think of any analog that we have you know uh maybe you know thinking of you know the surprise porcupine tree reunion kind of a thing just 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 by nature of old band reforms makes great album kind of a theme mm. uh, uh that, that that that's all i got for you and 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 the history i'm not going to read through <laughs> not going to read through all, all, all the guys i will say that i'm removing king gizzard and the lizard wizard from the from the the prog readings although they did several proggy albums everything i see when i stream them live is just jam band and, really and, and we've all got a hankering for certain kinds of jam bands uh, Paul, you, you 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 included as a bassist, but um, yeah, they just weren't they just weren't doing the prog thing. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, interesting uh, indeed. So if we go into the particulars, then as mentioned, uh, the tipping point was released in February of 2022. It was released on the label Concord and produced by in various combinations: Tears for Fears, Charlton Pettis. Florian Ruder and Sasha Scarbeck. Hmm. The personnel include Roland, uh, excuse me, include Roland Orzabal on vocals, keyboards, programming, guitars, and mixing. Kurt Smith on vocals, keyboards, bass guitars, and mixing. And additional musicians. There's a whole host of people hmm. who are credited on the wikis, including. The aforementioned Charlton Pettis on keyboards, programming, guitars, and mixing on a handful of tracks. Sasha Scarbeck, acoustic piano on um, Please Be Please Happy. Please Be Happy. All right. Um, vocal production, Florian Ruder, programming and vocal production. Doug Petty is credited with accordion, Hammond organ, acoustic piano, and string arrangements. Max von Amelm on guitars for track five, Aaron Sterling on drums, Jamie Woolham on drums, Karina Round backing vocals, Jason Joseph vocal arrangements and choir, Charles Jones choir, Jesse Collins choir, and Lauren Evans choir. Um, of particular note to those of us here on Progressive Palaver, 
In the technical, Stephen Wilson did the surround mixing for both, um, I guess, the Dolby um, Atmos and mm. the 5.1. So wow. man doesn't sleep. He really doesn't. I don't know how he has time to do this. And it's funny that, you know, it's almost like he does this surround mixing, you know, as a side gig for fun, right? Which yeah. my understanding is that's not easy to do. But I guess for Stephen Wilson, maybe it is. Who knows? Well, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's easy to set up. I don't know that every studio is set up to do that type of thing and i think he has his own setup and probably for the quality level of his performance in that in that arena he's probably uh i wonder how expensive stephen wilson is yeah that's a good yeah. question to mix yeah. your album in such a way he's probably uh yeah it's fucking great but so the the thing that's, the thing that's cool about like you know all the all the fun about stephen wilson the thing that's cool about him is that he's just been around forever and he's super connected to so many artists and people. And, you know, it's almost like sometimes I feel like it's it's almost just like us. Like, you know, hey, Ken, uh, <laughs> you know, would you mix this song in Atmos for me? Yeah, sure. You know? The track listing for Tipping Point include No Small Thing, The Tipping Point, Long, Long, Long Time, Break the Man, My Demons, Rivers of Mercy, Please Be Happy, Master Plan, End of Night, and it's credited with Stay, although that was not on my release. And there are, really? yeah, there are a couple of, let's put it this way, it wasn't on the Apple Music version that I listened to today. Wow. Um, okay. And there's, I've got a vinyl version that has two bonus tracks and the CD has two bonus tracks. And I want to say it is shame and let it all evolve. Wow. I think. Um, but those were also not reflected on um, the Apple music, which is a problem. That's fascinating. I, I mm -hmm. hold in my hand a copy of the CD okay. that does not have does not have any bonus tracks on. Uh, it's but this is one of the very few CDs in my life. In really, the last fifteen years that I've actually gone to a store and purchased, wow. taken up to a counter and paid money and walked out of a store with. So um, you that. That CD version doesn't have the bonus tracks. Where does which nope. is the last track on that record? Stay, stay. <laughs> Interesting. No bonus track. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ken. Sorry. The, the only release containing all three bonus tracks on one disc is the Super Deluxe Edition SDE. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the SDE, my friend. But that was limited to two thousand units. Yeah. So I've got I've got the the expanded, but not the Super Deluxe. Um, anyway. The Tipping Point is the seventh studio album by the English pop rock band Tears for Fears, released on 25 February 2022 through Concord Records. It is the band's first studio album since Everybody Loves a Happy Ending, released almost 18 years prior. Tracks on the album include The Tipping Point, which was released with a music video in October 2021, 
Further singles followed with No Small Thing, released in December 2021, and Break the Man in January 2022. The album was a critical and commercial success, giving the band their sixth UK Top 5 album and highest chart peak in 30 years, also reaching the top 10 in numerous other countries, particularly Scotland and the US, where it topped the charts, as well as um, Walloon, Belgium, and the UK, where it reached number two behind Central Sea's mixtape. I this love that Belgium has three separate charts. <laughs> <laughs> this, this became the band's sixth UK top five album and their highest charting album since their 1993 release, Elemental. In the United States, the album debuted at number eight on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart, earning 31,000 album equivalent units, including 29,000 copies in pure traditional album sales and 2,000 in streaming and song downloads in its first week, according to MRC data. This became the band's third uh, U.S. top 10 album on the chart and their first release to achieve this since their 1989 album, The Seeds of Love. The album also accumulated a total of 2.04 million on-demand official streams from the set's tracks. And we don't normally talk about this, um, but there, the, there's quite an extensive chart performance uh, table in the wikis. And I kind of wanted to run down this because I think it's just interesting and fun. So if we talk about Australian albums... Um, Aria or Oath, uh, yeah, Australian albums, it peaked at number seven. Austrian albums, it peaked at number 16. Um, two Belgian charts, as Ken mentioned, um, Ultratop Flanders, they peaked at eight, and Ultratop Wallonia, they peaked at number two. Canadian, 20. Danish albums, 36. Dutch albums, five. French, 10. German 3, Hungarian 30, Irish 10, Italian 14, Japanese albums 51, Japanese hot albums 80, Polish albums 30, Portuguese albums 27, Scottish albums number 1, Spanish albums 23, Swiss albums 4, UK albums 2, US Billboard 200 8, and U.S. Top Alternative Albums, number one. U.S. Top wow. Rock Albums, number one. U.S. Top Album Sales, number one. Wow. Wow. So, there you go. Uh, you know, given the fact that this is a band that hasn't released anything in 18 years, um, it's, it's, you know, I, I think it's a testament to marketing and the fact they had a really great product. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I would but, agree. but but Pitchfork still only gave it a seven point five out of ten <laughs> <laughs> because they weren't Lou Reed or something, you know. Oh my gosh, just, you know, it just <laughs> can't be good enough. <sighs> Boy, well, good for them. Damn it, you know. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm yeah. glad. I mean, how many? I mean, how certainly that we've discussed how many other artists have that sort of mass literally global mass appeal that's insane i mean with the exception of the you know the anomaly of 1986 we don't often come across that yeah yeah I, i'm trying to figure out what concord records is and and how they uh because that's what it's released on so they somehow had that thing 
with Warner pushing them to record all these songs. Uh, Concord Records in 2007, Paul McCartney, Joni Mitchell, John Mellencamp. So they're not exactly small. I just never heard of Concord before, personally. Yeah, apparently they uh, was it was launched in 1995 as an um, as an imprint designed to reach beyond the company's foundational Concord Jazz label. The label's wow. artists have won 14 Grammy awards and 88 Grammy nominations. Well, they've got Kenny G, so you know that's something. Okay. And Herb Alpert and Sergio Mendez, Santana. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Paul Simon and the Offspring, Offspring, Molly Ringwald for some reason. Yeah, that's it's an interesting, interesting list. Good on them. Oh yeah, the new pornographers. Love that band. Elvis Costello. Wow. Well, there you go. And Dave Coz. Paul, wasn't Dave Coz the saxophone guy who played with Barry Manilow for a while? Yes, he opened up his uh, last concert. Yeah. Well, there you go. Dave, the Dave Cos Band. Nice. It's right. pretty badass, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with here. Shall we get into all the luscious production that we've talked about? Let's do it. Sorry, I'm so distracted by the fact that Molly Ringwald has an album. <laughs> <laughs> Will that fit into Prog Not Prog, Ken? It does now, doesn't it? Because we like it. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get into the song list. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna start out with a very very mellow introduction to this record with no small thing. Paul, you've already sort of mentioned a little bit about this. Um, you know, it just it just starts off with a simple little acoustic guitar um, and and Roland singing. And it very slowly sort of builds off that basic structure. I want to say, what does the does the kick drum come in first, and then there's some yeah. some like organy keyboards that come in, and uh, it's a magical moment. So there aren't too many of these left. I th I think in life. So when they happen, I just I just completely embrace these with pure joy. Um. I can't remember the circumstance of what actually I actually do know exactly what I was doing. I was meandering around uh, the greater Exton, Pennsylvania area with some time to kill. And I picked this album up at a, a, a believe it or not, a visit to, I believe it's called Barnes and Nobles. Oh, okay. That's the, they still have one of those in Exton. And I meandered back and I thought, oh, I'm going to buy this. So I had some tea. And I got in the car and I slipped the CD right into my car. And it is, it starts with the, the acoustic guitar and he sings the, the line. And you're mm -hmm. absolutely right, Joe. I was sitting in my car listening, just wondering what I was going to hear. And it hits that kick drum. It's like, and it's like, and I just was like, I just got this big smile on my face. And I was like, Oh yes, this is what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I, I I want to read this into the record, uh, and if if it doesn't take, you can you can snip it. But mm. 
once you get those strings under your fingers, you can play that for 15 minutes like me and never stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's such a subtle and intimate beginning to, uh, you know, a, a song that ultimately ends up in, you know, my opinion, becoming just humongous and dark, but it's, it just really sets the tone for, uh, and, and like I said, especially when you have that pre, uh, predisposition to thinking, oh, these guys were just like sitting around and writing songs in the, you know, in the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. It's beautiful. One of the things that I liked about Elemental and Raul is sort of the, the lyrics and the subject matter that, that Roland likes to, to deal with. And it, there are a couple of, of lyrics in here that just absolutely floor me. So I think it's, um, it's probably at the end of one of the verses. I don't know if it's technically the first or the second, but where he says, I will trade all my liberty for that look mm. in your eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, yeah. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then when you go into, I guess it's probably technically the, the bridge, where they talk about we punish the child. And, mm. and it kind of goes through all of the things that, you know, and, and I'm not sure if it's, you know, society punishing the child or whatever, but like all of those things that basically, you know, try to constrict all of this, you know, vision and ambition that young people can have. There's just something about that and the way that Roland delivers those lines, right? And by the time it gets there, you've added in, you know, all the rest of this sort of musical structure. And it's just like you said, Paul, it, it starts out very, very small and becomes very, very huge um, by the time it's all said and done. And it's just, I, I'm, I'm struck by it because when, when the song opens and you think you're getting one thing and by the time it's done, you're like, wait a second, how did we get here? And it's, it's really quite transportive. If it's cooking, let it cook. Exactly. The Dave yes. Kirshner uh, uh, theorem. And they get there. It's not quite zero to sixty, but they they get there, and it it just keeps you there. It's very nice. And it it's you know it's funny if that's the right word. This song is very heavy, Roland. Right? It, it, if every song was like this song, you'd still be wondering why Kurt Smith was was here at the table. Uh, and, and but that's not going to be the case throughout the rest of this album. And and I think Kurt very much you know, gets his time in the spotlight, which is, you know, oh, yeah. both welcome and appropriate. Because as much as I love those other two albums, there is something very nice about when Kurt and Roland sing together. Mm -hmm. um, you yep. know, there, there's a certain balancing of, of them that I think works really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, I particularly enjoy... I. I the the um uh, you mentioned the bridge i might call it the chorus but it's the you know because freedom is no small yeah. thing part and there's the um there's a there the the chord change there's a slide guitar that's sort of like and to me that is like a beautiful sort of link to um you know elemental and some of the elements that, that yeah. were in there and um and I and I just love it, but I but I think you nailed it with the lyrics, Joe. I think that um, 
I mean, it's just so. It's. I mean, I. I. To me, it's like, it's crazy, profound, right? Freedom mm -hmm. is no small thing. We punish the child for flying too high, for rushing like the wind, and then it goes into that sort of dark, minor progression that just kind of takes out the outro of the song. Mm -hmm. Um, slightly Beatlesque. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, which I think is also a throwback to, you know. Seeds. Uh, seeds of love, for sure. Yeah, it's great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just want to add that I'm always looking for groups of three, and this is a bit of a waltz. Really floats my boat. Yes, yeah. of course. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's a three, Ken's going to find it and roll around <laughs> in it for a while. <laughs> it's almost a throwback to I'm the walrus or, or something, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it takes away a, a lot of the creepiness out of it while keeping it still dark and in the pocket. Mm. Uh, I, I just love their interpretation on the 60s and 70s. It's but being done in 2022. Yeah, it's, it's really good and it doesn't it doesn't feel overly contrived like right. I don't know, some bonus tracks on a recent Yes album that we won't name. Oh, goodness. <laughs> so what's interesting to me is, you know, they, they do this whole, you know, slow build sort of deal, and then they repeat it on the next song with the tipping point, but in an entirely different genre, which is <laughs> absolutely fascinating to me. And it, it works... Um, just as well, and in some cases, you know, I, I think the the tipping point, the song, is a lot more obvious or easy to sort of gravitate to as a song. It's you know, it's it's got a hook and a half, but it it does something very similar. But now it starts out with a very sort of sparse and fun electronic bed. And then they, you know, they bring in the guitar on top of that, and then ultimately the piano, and and they build up that song in a similar way, a lot faster. It doesn't necessarily go to unexpected places, I think, in the same way that No Small Thing does, but it it does certainly develop, and it, it just has an entirely different overall feel to it. Um, but it to me, this is a certain certain earworm that I cannot um, get away from. Mm -hmm. uh, before we advance too far, the opening track is is credited to both Orzabel and Smith, yes. which is very important in this sitting in this, the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> kick, kick, kicking off. Uh, this this album with something a little more intimate between the guys. A a as we branch out to the tipping point, this is where the honorary third member of Tears for Fears, Charlton Pettis, comes in. Uh, not only as a producer, but as a writer. So this is or Orzabel and Pettis together on the tipping point. Do you think it was Pettis that suggested hey let's use the same drum track from shout and just speed it up a little bit 
Well, and it's interesting, right? Because if you look at the producers for those two tracks, um, Ken, as you pointed out, No Small Thing, written by Orzabal and Smith, produced by Tears for Fears and Pettis. The Tipping Point, written by Orzabal and Pettis, produced by Tears for Fears, Sasha Scarbeck and Florian Ruder. Yeah, there's a little bit of polyamory here, isn't there? (laughs) There is. And that's not going to be the case all of the time. Um, It looks like Scarbeck and Ruder kind of came in for a couple of tracks, and Pettis was their their buddy for the rest of them. Yeah. Um, But it's just, I, I found that to be a little interesting. I just want to say I'm feeling a lot of pressure to pull up my thesaurus. (laughs) (laughs) i'm feeling like i'm 25 cents short tonight (laughs) (laughs) oh boy yeah if you don't know what polyamory is you you're not safe going out to bars these days whatever (laughs) (laughs) oh my god okay so one of the things that happens in the tipping point, and, and this is this is like, there are a couple of what I would call Tears for Fears tropes in this song, and there are things that I generally love. Not top of the list, but obviously, you know, this is, this is a case where, you know, Kurt gets to play a fun bass line that gets to drive everything along, which is, you know, also in some ways... Um, classic Tears for Fears. But what really gets me and what happens fairly often, probably three, four times throughout this record, um, and it's a little bit less subtle here than it is other places, but I absolutely love when they have a main vocal melody going through and they slide in these, these lines sort of underneath it that, you know, if you don't pay attention or if you're not following along, um, you know, with some sort of a, of a lyric program, you might miss them or not recognize them for what they are. Um, so in here, now, again, they start out with, um, you know that I can't love you anymore. Um, and that's up front. But by the time it's all, they build up the rest of the song, that's kind of sitting beneath some things, which I just... I love the way they do that. And again, they'll do it much more dramatically later on in the record, but I love the way they sort of layer those vocal parts. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, having a couple of vocalists can, can give you, I mean, not that in a studio, it really mm. makes a difference, but yeah. Yeah. But it's super well done in this, in this particular case. Oh, Paul, you mentioned shout, but I, I think with this shuffle, you meant to say, Everybody wants to rule the world. This that's sound- exactly that's exactly right. Yes. I, I yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It sounds like the same tempo, the same shuffle. Mm. And 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 I could imagine an amazing mashup at a gig where they would play this I, and then go into I, I wanna s I actually wanna say that that uh I remember checking out Setlist FM just for that purpose. And they they do play these songs back to back. Do they really? And, uh, Brilliant. I, I could be wrong, but um, maybe I just wanted that to be true. But I do think there's actually the same drum fills a couple times. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is uh, everybody wants to rule the world. Yeah. I mean, this is brilliant. It, it, it's basically an Orzabella song. But mm. when this breaks and goes in the track three, it's just like 
Smith rules. This this is yeah. this, this this is Kurt taking the mic, stealing the spotlight. I mean, it, he doesn't take very long to blow you away with his his soft, controlled, high, gorgeous voice. <laughs> uh, is that a su- su- sufficient segue, Joe? To yeah, absolutely. And so that gets us, as Ken mentioned, into long, long, long time. Um, and and this is credited um, writing wise to Smith Orzabal with Pettis, and produced with Tears for Fears and Pettis as well. Um, yeah. You know, again, this is now Kurt gets to sort of take center stage and there's it's a, it's a very pleasing sort of um, dynamic between going from Roland singing lead vocal to Kurt singing lead vocal with them harmonizing each other. It really just goes down tremendously mm. easily and and enjoyably. Does anyone have any idea what the hell this song's about? Um, to me, it reads sort of like um, a breakup song. We haven't been honest or clever or care. In a, I think it's in a long time or something like that. Um, and, and it seems to me like someone's just sort of woken up one day and said, yeah, this hasn't been working for a while. We need to quit doing this bullshit. Um, that's, that's what I got out of it, but yeah, well, yeah, it's, but isn't it written in a miraculous way that it could be about the band? It could be about a relationship. Yeah. It could, it could be a breakup or it could be the reason that they don't break up because they have this realization and they fix it. There are so many amazing possibilities here. I, I, yeah, I, you know, I know that I, I think Orzabel lost his wife during the process of all of this, and I think that had some influence to it, although it seems like mostly the songs of loss seem to be coming from Kurt. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. The part about (laughs) all of a sudden Ken's taking a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) He is off and on call. (laughs) He doesn't doesn't look happy about it either. Um, But, but, one of the things, Joe, is that like I think it's also about just being older, you know, and being old and having experience in life. Like yeah. the my my favorite my favorite like section of this is boxing at shadows and listening at doors, pushing the buttons and pulling the blinds. We haven't been honest or clever or sure in a long, long, long time. And then the the chorus, which is magnificently produced with the, f- the female backing vocals yeah. and everything. Funny how the heart of everyone, oh, I've just lost it, is um is um what you uh funny how the heart of everyone is the part you'll never know. Funny how the heart of holding on is letting, letting go. go. That's just fucking great. I, yeah, it's so great. It, it's. I mean, and again, they're they're fantastic lyrics, which are open to interpretation, which is much more fun. But the way that chorus just kind of takes off on you, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, because the you know the, there's certainly a, a dynamic difference between the verses and the chorus in this song that's really quite dramatic, mm-hmm. and but they, I think, 
they both work because of the other, which, you know, when you talk about, you know, the potential of interpreting this song in terms of, you know, the band, that adds another sort of layer yeah. of, of interest to, yeah, for to, sure. the, to the whole thing. But, it, you know, it, it's, again, you know, one I, I was left wondering after the last album, you know, why did Kurt Smith come back? Why did Roland let him come back? You know, yeah. if that's the, you know, the right phrasing, but when you get something like this, you're like, okay, well, this is why. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Kurt's going to continue on right on into the next track, which is a bit of a sleeper for me. Um, Break the man. Kurt Smith is definitely grooving here. Um, we get more of that beautiful sort of vocal harmony. This is a song that I can often, you know, it's one of those tracks, if I'm thinking about this record, I, I sort of mentally hop right over it. Don't think about it. When it's when I see it's coming up, I'm like, eh, you know, this song. But by the time it's done, I'm like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, I, I yeah. really get into it. I the next two songs like this song this album could easily be eight songs and i wait would wait 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 are you poo-pooing my demons we're not there yet i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna just uh, give me a chance um uh, 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 that's disappointing yeah this, yeah this uh i've tried to like break the man but i i just can't i just can't i don't i you can just get rid of this song together that's why i was curious if if this one was a leftover from the, you know, pre Warner Brothers sessions or whatever, but I just don't like it. I, I don't like the, yeah, I just don't, I, I just don't like anything about it. I'll just, just go on record saying that and be done with it. All right. What, what, what track was that? That was Break the Man. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. So, so I have to, <laughs> I have to, I have to comment here, uh, before I take a little detour and then come back. So, um, when I first heard Break the Man, Initially, if you're not really paying attention, it just sounds like a man who's got something to say about a woman. It doesn't sound particularly nice. I'm like, what is this? Uh, and, and and I had to read the words, and then and then I looked it up. And once I did the research, it really started to work for me. So Break the Man was initially called Kill the Man, and it was a little too strong. Mm. I, I don't know where Kurt and Charlton Pettis, you know, got that vibe. Probably, probably just Kurt. But <laughs> it's actually, it's not breaking an individual man. It's just a metaphor for breaking the patriarchy. So it, 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 it's, 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 it's interesting. Yeah. 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 Once I got it, it suckered me right in there and I, and I love the tune. Uh, hmm. and, but, but initially it's crafted in such a way that it sounds like there's this one particularly pesky woman. Uh, but the woman turns out to be, the, the protagonist is all womanhood. As, Women. As, yes. I, all yes. right. So I said I didn't like anything about the song. Okay. I like that aspect of the song. <laughs> but I still don't like the song. I think it's, I don't like it. 
So, Paul, you don't think it's an appropriate vehicle for the message that is being conveyed. Is that fair no. to say? It's, sorry. <laughs> but the melody is just not, not, it, maybe it's, you can call it soundtrack dissonance, but that's a, that's a heavy topic for this light and airy treatment that it's gotten. Interesting. Okay. I bet it works really well live and they're probably going to have a really cool video with it. I mean, it's too bad we didn't see the tour because I, I, I think there's a really interesting vibe in there, but it, it's definitely slightly more R&B, slightly more ambiguous, less rock. Mm. You can't really dance to it. There's, you know, it, it, it falls into a weird uh, genre within their catalog. All right, Ken, while you're gone, um, Paul and I are going to duke it out over my demons. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so, and for, for the record, if I don't make it back, Rivers of Mercy is just amazing. I, mm. I defy anyone to argue otherwise. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Rock. Okay, so, Paul, we can now move on to my demons. Um to which you have already said you would throw it out. It doesn't need to be on the album. You don't like it. Doesn't. Doesn't. I you know, I I think when I think when I first started listening to this album, you know, I I enjoyed this song. And it, you know, it's got a cool beat. Um but it it you know, it hasn't really stood up you know, over the multiple, multiple listenings. And as I have absolutely fell in love with, you know, many of the other tracks on this record, this one is, is just an obstacle to me to getting to, to, to those other ones. And interesting, I, you know, I just, it's like, it's sort of like Roland at his, you know, as Roland should be right. You know, right. Great production, all the vocals and everything, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't really hold my interest. So I'll just leave it at that. So you, you're like, one of the things I like about this is like this sort of aggressive tone that he has, which is mm. a little out of character kind of makes me sit up and, and take yeah. notice. Right. Yeah. Why is my name in lights when my name is spelled wrong? I love that sort of smarmy attitude. Yeah. That, again, we don't normally get this 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 level of of presentation from Roland, yeah. so I think it's kind of cool. It's a little it's a little gritty. Um, makes me and makes me think in certain regards of dogs, a best friend's dog. Yes, from Elemental. I was just gonna say dogs, a best friend's dog, and even a little bit of I'm sorry. Um, yeah, from Raúl. And, and and that may be part of why I don't like this song as much because those two songs are fucking righteous. <laughs> and and this one, I'm like, ah, you know. I so mean, I, 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 I will grant you, if it's, if it's on the tree of uh, Sorry and Dog's a Best Friend's Dog or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, I'll grant you that it's clearly not as elevated as those two are. Um, but in the middle of this, I've never found anything that I didn't like about it. I also love, um, there are a couple lines in here that get me. 
and and it could just be me being juvenile and focusing in on silly things. So the middleman, the little man, the butcher, and his dog. Mm. I, I I don't know why, but that just geeks me out like there's no tomorrow. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And and I think this song has you know again this is a much better example of them dropping in a lyric behind all the other lyrics when you get um, angels gonna burn their wings again um, behind I guess it's maybe the chorus I don't remember what exact part it is but it's it's just kind of tucked in there mm-hmm. um, you know and again if uh, until I was was using the lyric function on Apple Music, I don't know that I would have picked that up. And I just yeah. kind of geek on little little things like that. Like, if Tears for Fears is essentially a one- or two-man show, right, I think, and, and I'm going to credit this one to Roland because of Elemental and Raul, I, you know, he slash they are really, really good in the studio of building interesting things around you know, these one or two people. And, and I yeah, just really appreciate yeah. the way they do that. Yeah. It, I mean, it is really well done. I mean, I don't mean to, yeah, I, I think everything that you're saying, I, I can't disagree with. It just, just <laughs> you, doesn't necessarily you, strike me the same way. That's all. You would just, uh, you'd rather spend your three minutes and eight seconds in other ways. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty funny too. It's so short, you know, it's like, <laughs> I should just, you know, smile and enjoy it and move on. But, most of the time, I'm, I'm my fingers going right for the skip button. <laughs> That's so funny. It might possibly be because Rivers of Mercy is, for me, without a doubt, the highlight of this whole collection. Oh, I clearly, just, I want to get to that. So, Rivers of Mercy is absolutely phenomenal, and in the absence of um, the temporary absence of Ken, uh, you know, I think you and I have probably duked it out over. Uh, my demons enough. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is really to say um, about it. And, and, you know, we could probably talk for quite a while on Rivers of Mercy. And so probably. let's do that. Okay. So Rivers of Mercy, it's just fundamentally a beautiful song. Yeah. It evokes... Mercy Street mixed with Here Comes the Flood, the wow. piano version on Shaking the Tree. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's it's amazing. It's absolutely just amazing the way this, this hits you. The musical bed here is just sublime. But the lyrics are both yearning and beautiful at the same time. There's... You know, much in the way of Mercy Street, you get this sort of dichotomy of feeling with regards to, you know, you feel these these pressures outside, but you're also given a glimpse or a, of of a way to elevate above these these troubles. Yeah, and oh, absolutely beautiful. You know, when he says, you know, going to hold you close till the shadows disappear. And then it just starts into, like you said, the sublime bed of of um, reverb and these keyboards. 
Like I, Joe, I don't even know when when the reverb stops. You know, it's just like it just keeps going, and there's just these beautiful pauses in the music. And uh, I mean, we could probably talk 15 minutes just about the instrumentation. Yeah, the little guitar things that go that happen in the in the speakers in your ears and the and how it goes from this big lush full soundscape to this teeny tiny moment you know with just a voice and and um and a, and a remnant of sound it's just it is so beautiful and um you know like you said it's it's not it's it's not a, it's a song about you know longing and pain and yet at the same time healing and and peace and it's the exact feeling that you get when when you listen to it and and i didn't i didn't mark down the lyrics um and i wish that i had in the sort of middle section of this where i want to say they basically do what i think amounts to like a double chorus with maybe a break in the middle and, and they just keep building on the lyrics and they you know it, it just keeps elevating one after another and bringing in you know just new and different and better ways to express these these feelings it's just i, I remember the the first time i i listened to this while looking at the lyrics and just being amazed as they were scrolling in front of me and just sort of like I said, building on each other, it was amazing. Um, and yeah. I was just like, it, when's it going to stop, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the thing, like, to, like that part is so magical. It, it's, it's so reminiscent to me of, of um, just the instrumentation, the guitars coming in. Yeah. So, so reminiscent of um, Women in Chains. Yes. And, um, and they do, they do they sort of they stick with the chorus but they kind of break away and and you know it's spinning upside down in the wake of mighty waves see the anger of the world when feelings run high when feelings are so raw we will give in to the night and then drop me in rivers of mercy i mean it's just so yeah. it, everything about the song in that moment and just and it and it's sung with like a desperation um and every but everything just resolves into this this uh this this beautiful bed of music um and even just the way it ends you know just kind of you know you're going 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 and then it's just a cymbal swell and just fades mm. <laughs> I, I like that when you talk about the you know desperation followed by resolution i think that's a brilliant way to sort of describe this and I think that really sort of captures the fundamental essence of of this song and why it's so powerful. I mean, it you know, on the surface, right? And you talk about the the way the the music is constructed. You know, if you don't pay attention to it, uh, and and especially if you're susceptible to my demons or something like that, right? You could you could be misled into thinking that this is just sort of like um you know a six minute snoozer like you know low tempo not a lot going on yeah okay whatever you know let's let's get to the next song 
But if you pay attention and you sort of allow yourself to be immersed, if I can use that that phrase, you yeah. know, in this song as a whole, and and there's so much to pay attention to between the way the music is is built and produced with all the different pieces coming in and out, that lovely reverb that you're talking about. And then, you know, once you're there and you're you're I mean, honestly, in some ways, and, the, you know, we always talked in, in the Peter Gabriel segment about whenever Peter Gabriel sang a song with a water motif, you had to pay attention, right? Yeah. But I don't know that Peter Gabriel, for all of his water motif fixation, and I could be wrong, I don't know that he ever crafted a song that actually felt like being in water, <laughs> <laughs> which, exactly. Yes. Which this yes. actually does. It totally does. It feels like you're floating on your back in, yeah. in water. Oh my gosh. And and That's... once you're there, then you can sort of you, you know, you're at least for me, right? Like once I'm in that sort of headspace, that's when the lyrics sort of open up around me and it just becomes that much more relevant. It's amazing. Yeah. So it, I was going to say at some point in time, I wanted to say like, you know, we all want this reverb plugin, whatever they're using here, whatever it is, because it doesn't, it never sounds like s sustain is being used on, on this piano sound, right? It sounds yeah. like, it sounds like you can play a chord and you can go make yourself a sandwich and the reverb will still be decaying uh, when you come back. And that is such a technological amazement for you know people like us but you you said it you don't you don't it's almost like you don't have awareness you sit there and you know that that's what's going on you know that that is what they're doing and you're loving it but the 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 aesthetic that you have is fucking floating on water and that is um that is artistry at its greatest form in in the production seat and it's just mind-boggling at times when i listen to it. i still sit in my couch with the lights off and just blast this song mm. all these months later and just like revel in that in that sensation it's amazing see now i'm gonna have to uh when i go back north and i've, I've got my uh i'll have to sit in my couch with my good stereo and do exactly that <laughs> <laughs> very very much looking forward to that i think that's going to be absolutely spectacular yeah, so I think when when Ken comes back, we'll have to give him you know a couple of minutes yeah. to to kind of gush over this because I think you know when when I described at the top of the episode um, being back in the in Pennsylvania in March, you know I, I have a suspicion that this is a lot of what you guys were talking about um, mm -hmm. when you were were just kind of losing your your shit over the production on this record. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's just, it's such a fantastic example of it. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And for sure, just, you know, for me, the climax of of the album right here. And yet, you know, not not take anything away from what's, what's coming after. I th the songs that are coming after are fantastic. But this, for me, is just the pinnacle of all of this. It's like, you know, sometimes you listen to the album and you think, there's just the one song, like everything around this one song is just fodder, 
you know it's just a build up and a and a and a letdown after that one song for me yeah. this is this is like that yeah it it it's funny cuz i've been i've been qcing um slash sharing the uh operation mind crime episodes and you know i i it's different but you almost you know you could make a similar argument with regards to sweet sister mary mm, um, right yeah. you know yeah although there's a lot more going on there yeah all right so yeah rivers of mercy absolutely exceptional um no other word to describe it so given what we've talked about previously paul i'm very curious what your thoughts are on the next track please Mm. be happy (laughs) which is just a terrible title first of all it, (laughs) it is it might be a terrible opening line too um i do think that you know in the early so like when you listen to a song and like you know we talk about prog not prog right mm-hmm. please be happy because you know i cannot bear to see you in the state of melancholy curled up in your chair please don't worry because the world won't break apart as easy as the glass you dropped and smashed when you tried to climb the stairs. Now, yeah. Hearing that song is, is you know, but, you know, Im- immediately I go into like, okay, this is like, this is like fish mode, right? This mm-hmm. is, yeah. like, this is, a, this is a poem that's being put to music. And, um, and it, it sort of changes my 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 thought around how the song unfolds right because it's i'm like is it a song or is it a poetry you know put poem a poem put to music and then it explodes into like this gigantic orchestral choirish type of i don't know if it's guns and roses or paul mccartney and wings or what it, what it is but it just becomes so glorious it's it's such a, it's sort of like an anomaly in this whole grouping of songs. I I find it to be quite pleasing actually overall. And it, I'm glad you said that because you know again in when I when I prep for one of these episodes, generally I will just listen to the album, you know, for an extended period of time probably six, eight times in the week proceeding at a minimum. Sometimes it's more, um, sometimes, not often, it's less. And then in the day of or the day before the episode, I will sit down with my notebook, um, usually in headphones, certainly in some sort of environment where I can specifically pay attention and, and you know, write my notes on this. And I'll be honest with you, until I did that, please be happy. Certainly, as a as a song title, hadn't registered with me at all, and I was like, "Please be happy." What the hell? And then, like you said, <laughs> um, when in in the first stanza of the song, he rhymes happy with melancholy, and you're just like, "Oh Jesus!" Yeah, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> wow did you did you really just do that? Um, and, and so. You know, I was sitting here with my notebook and I was like, uh, I'm not so sure about this. And then 
I, I there was a little reprieve when, and it's not credited as such, so I'm assuming it's a it's a keyboard patch. But you get something that sounds very much like a muted trumpet, which we all know is on yes. my list of three things right. that I love in in rock music. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and and by the time it's all said and done, I just have my last note in here is I love Roland exclamation point. Because by the time it's all said and done, it starts out on shaky ground, but it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm absolutely loving this. Um, you know, I think this is another song where um I think and I think Roland is is a, once again doing some Peter Gabriel channeling, which I have no problem with whatsoever. So, you know, we we talk about, you know. Prague, not Prague, and everything else. But I think, you know, there is something here between what I'm perceiving as, you know, a Peter Gabriel influence, perhaps, on mm. Rivers of Mercy and and this song. So, you know, there's something there. And, you know, here again, you've got this lyric, if you lay among the graves, you will see other ghosts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, that's so... That that's chilling to me in regards to um, you know what it says about I think you know the power of one's perspective. Yeah, you know, and right. so it, it just you know by the time it's all said and done, while I start out on on in a very dubious place, by the time this song is finished, I'm completely on board and invested in this. Yeah. Yeah. So that takes us into Master Plan. This is one of two tracks on the album that are credited with writing by Roland alone. Um, Master Plan and End of Night are both credited to just him. Um, They do have different production credits, which is interesting. I, I don't have a whole lot on this song. I do love the story. I love the way it's told. There's a line when nothing is so pure it can't be sold. Um, mm. I, I I just like the sort of the structure there. I think it's very a clever way to say it. Um, I, I like this song, but I just I, I I was not moved to the point of uh, writing a lot about it. Nice. So I think this is one hundred percent. Rollin channeling takes me right back to tracks on Elemental, mm-hmm. but more than anything else, this <laughs> this song, for whatever reason, reminds me so much of Neverland by Marillion. <laughs> really? I, I just like it just because of that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Neverland is huge. It is. It just has that same sort of like, I don't know what it is about it, but it just, I, I feel like it's channeling that 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 fantastic uh i don't know feel of um of uh of that so yeah so i i, I don't have much more to say than that i think it's rollin kicking ass and sounding like marillion is this master plan you're talking about this is yeah. master plan yeah 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 i i would call it majesty presence it, it it has a grandeur to it where you're you're feeling that he's painting a picture. I love it. 
I don't know what it's about. I didn't read the lyrics. But it's huge. It's great. That takes us to End of Night, the second uh, Orzabal-only penned song. This time, however, produced with Scarbeck and Ruder. And... Um, this was this is one of the ones that was mixed explicitly on the wikis. It says it was it was mixed by Kurt and Roland. Um, there's a lot of sort of musical flourishes in here. A lot of things that kind of come in and out. There are a lot of different pieces. There's there's kind of a cool um, synth that bounces around in in the. Uh, the the space in uh-huh. the second verse which you know could be kind of gimmicky but i think you know it's it, it's kind of a neat song in in a lot of regards um you know there there are a lot of things in here that i think borderline could be terrible but somehow aren't the ooos could be extremely cheesy and somehow they pull that off um yeah you know again I, I think I'm still coming down off of Rivers of Mercy and, and you know, maybe even the, the two songs after. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've got no big beef with End of Night at all, but it's, you know, it's a tight three-minute song. Okay. It's, it's quite possible that, to your point, Joe, just because it comes in after Rivers of Mercy, Please Be Happy, and Master Plan, that I'm far more lenient on this song than I am, say, of Break the Man and My Demons. <laughs> um, but it it feels like a very end of CD. Like, I can feel us getting to the end, right? Like, yeah, you know, we've peaked. I can feel us getting to the end. I know I know we're getting there, and, and this kind of is the vehicle that that gets me there. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say other than it's, it's tracked appropriately. I, I wish I knew more about synth oscillators. I, I, I just know that there, there's something that I've used before and since I don't know if they were Korg or Roland or whatever that has their Yamaha DX7. Like there's a very 80s throwback to, and Joe, you talked about the the panning of the synth, but I just want to talk about the the bass, the way the song early on just hits you with that very watery, oscillating, squishy. Squishy. Feeling. I like squishy, it. Squishy, right? It's very squishy. It sense. is squishy. Yeah, yeah. Almost like you're wringing out a sponge on every note. There's something like very, yeah, something wonderful going on there. I gravitate towards those songs. And and the, 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 frankly, this could have been a more overtly synth the album but they they, they 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 waited till now to go you know hardcore it also takes me to the you know the, the the synth renaissance mgmt do you guys resonate with that band that song that was uh, around five years ago yes i do i do yeah, yeah yeah so um good stuff great stuff they do it well um 
Why wouldn't they? It, 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 it's just perfect. And th- th- frankly, this could have this could have been early in the album. It, it, it does have that that we're winding down feel, but it's not it's not giving up by any means. Th- this could work as a starter or an, or, or an opener too. Yeah. And so the album officially closes with "Stay." And apologies because um, what I was saying earlier, "Stay" is is actually included. Um, this is a, a pretty gentle way to end the album. Maybe it's designed to sort of bookend the gentle opening of No Small Thing. Not 100% certain. This is a Kurt Smith song. Uh, and other than the fact that it's a gentle way to end the album, I don't really have anything to say about it either. I'm just so grateful it's not produced by Stephen Wilson. I mean, this is a legitimately pristine song. Uh, and, and, and because I've been traumatized by prog rock, I keep waiting for it to take a dark <laughs> turn and it never does. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad we were able to take this non scary, as little, uh, vacation for you, Ken. So you could, you know, deal with some of that trauma that, uh, prog rock has, has forced upon you. Indeed. What I find interesting with this and and so looking a little bit more closely at the the wikis so it it very clearly says let it all evolve and shame are uh, the bonus tracks on the u.s target edition of the cd ah there you go target so so luckily apparently when i purchased my cd off of ebay i got the target version because it includes that now additionally that is also included in my vinyl version, which I bought at McKay Music or McKay Bookstore in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's actually a little 45 that's in the main sleeve. Ah, wow. Fascinating. So very, very cool. Now we've I think we've we've talked certainly in this segment, right? Because this seems to be all the rage these days with these these quote unquote bonus tracks. Um, sometimes it's it's done in ways that are very dubious. Um, you know, I think of the the quote unquote bonus tracks being side four of the vinyl on the quest. We talked about the quote unquote bonus tracks on Porcupine Tree Closure Continuation. And, uh, you know, we, we're we not necessarily, or we don't have to go into all this, because, Paul, I don't think you've maybe heard some of these. I but haven't. But Let It All Evolve, I think, is an absolutely brilliant song. Wow. Um, okay. I, I, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I didn't... I, I must have fallen asleep when we finished talking about Stay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were reading. <laughs> I... Yeah, so I mean, I I, I just want to say that, like, bonus tracks aside, I, I, I'm so happy that I don't have the other tracks to to disrupt the ending and the feeling of of uh, finality that I have from listening to "Stay" at the end of this record. Um, I don't really know what any of this stuff is about, but like, I like the 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 thing that I feel. Um, you know, kind of to your point, Ken, like the, the darkness never comes because it's actually a very, you know, I know that there's been loss experienced 
you know, by, by these guys in, in their long lives. And I, and I love, at first I was confused by the speak, don't speak, go, don't go. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, and stay, don't stay, go, don't go, stay, don't stay. I mean, I just, but like when I, you know, when, when I think about, you know, damned if I do, damned if I know, wait, don't linger, way down slow, stay for the open hand or let it all go. And then, you know, it says dust to dust, we all fall down, run for the hills until we're safe and sound. And it has this motif, you know, young enough to play the game, old enough to know that it's all or nothing. And I just, like, there's, there's, uh, there's something, I don't just, there, there, to me, there's like wisdom and experience, the idea of, you know, you know, you, you have to, you know, you have to make your choice, whatever it is, right? Stay, don't stay, go, don't go, right? Like you, you need to make that choice in life because whatever choice you make, it's, it's, it, you know, it's all or nothing. It's, you know, it's everything in your life. And I just, I don't know. It's just a, to me, another like profound experience, a, a, a life lived sort of, sentiment that uh, that comes in at the end and to me it's just like the perfect pristine ending to you know this this collection so i'm glad i don't have the target version or any of the other um funny bonus tracks um because i think it just ends perfectly for me um, do or so do sorry. not there is no try no. there it is exactly yeah. all or nothing so, all or nothing uh, yeah Paul, you may appreciate this as a gigging musician. Um, I went to uh, you know the ultimate tab site through the mm -hmm. app that I use to download, you know, questionable transcriptions from people all over the globe. And someone, <laughs> someone was kind enough to put all of the tipping point songs in one file and they actually did a good job where they 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 have predictable patterns uh, it's amazing typically you go to these sites you get one song per file and it's of questionable arrangement and maybe the chords aren't even quite the actual chords of the song but but i think th i think i i think they 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 nailed the chords they they seem to have nailed the lyrics. I mean, I mean, I'm wondering if it was Roland himself to prep the band. It was like way, <laughs> way too good a job. Like, like, who would have all the tracks from the album in order? <laughs> but I will say, consistent with Spotify, no bonus tracks. So there you go. There you go. He draws the line somewhere. Yeah. So. You know, again, we don't need, really need to go into it, but I would encourage you to seek out, let it all evolve. I think it is a just a classic Tears for Fears song in the vein of Elemental and Raul. You know, and it's one of those things where if we're talking about tracking, I, I can totally get behind End of Night into Stay sort of closing out the album, which means I would have preferred it be tucked up in the middle somewhere, um, you know. So just, you know, again, 
not anything that we really need to concern ourselves with here. And this whole general um, trend of these bonus songs and how they're treated and where they show up and where they don't, I find generally annoying that, you know, different, everyone can have sort of these different experiences with quote unquote, the same record, but that's just me being a grumpy old man. So, so yeah, that brings us to the end of the tipping point. And I'm glad to say that, you know, this record very much lived up to all the hype that you guys gave it back in March. And I think it's uh it's a great listen. I really, really have enjoyed spending the time with, uh, with this record. So appreciate you guys, you know, really, really pushing it and, and getting me to go there because again, after everybody loves a happy ending, I, I was not particularly motivated to find this record. Yeah. I'm glad this album came out and it was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So no guarantees that we will ever have additional tears for fears episodes. Although, uh, Paul, maybe you and I can talk about elemental and Raul sometime just because it's freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are killing me. You've mentioned those so many times. If I can only pick one, which one should I pick? Elemental. Elemental. I want to to rank Raul higher, but I fundamentally can't. (laughs) I mean, they're they're really close. Honestly, they're they're not that different. But Elemental is is truly a special special record. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Sweet. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Anything else on uh, Tears for Fears this evening, gentlemen? All right. Well, then I appreciate uh, your time as always and very much look forward to, I think, next episode. We'll be talking about one of our all-time favorites, one of my all-time favorites, and something that I've, you know, I came across as a result of our work here at the podcast. And that, of course, is the lone release from Sound of Contact Dimensionaut. Nice. Finally. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPaula on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPaula, that's P-R-G, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>